Good morning again. Well, I hope that's not indicative to how excited you are to hear the Word of God. <laughs> uh, if, you're, if you're new with us and you, maybe you weren't here last week, we're going through a series looking at the parables of Jesus. Parables are like these short stories, earthly stories with a heavenly meaning or short stories with a big idea or the word parable means to cast alongside. It's giving you something simple that you do understand alongside something that's complex, relating the two so that you can transfer and understand uh, these spiritual truths. And so we're looking at the, the parables of Jesus, and last week we started the parable of the store. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 4. Uh, before I read, though, I thought I'd share this, uh, which deals with the, the sermon, the idea of the sermon. Uh, this week... I asked an artificial intelligence bot this question. If you don't know what AI is, don't worry, you never will. But uh, this is what I asked it. What do people complain about the most because it is shallow? I just asked this machine, what do people complain about the most because it's shallow? Guess what the number one answer was? The weather, not the weather. it was someone during first service said water, and I'm like, I've got five kids. I appreciate shallow water. The, the number one answer for what people complain about because it's shallow is relationships. Relationships. Uh, people crave deep, intimate relationships with one another because that's how we were designed. We want to have meaningful relationships. When we, when we think about deep relationships, what we're thinking is, I want a relationship with someone that sees me for who I really am and loves me even with all my faults, you know, even with all my, my messy stuff. They love me and I know them and I love them because that's how God created us, to love one another. And uh, the problem though with meaningful deep relationships is, which you all know, is you can't have a deep relationship with shallow interactions. You can't have a deep relationship with shallow interactions. You need to have deep interactions with people that are vulnerable, that are open, that are connected, that expose a little bit of who you are because people can't get to know you if you're hiding it. So you can't have deep relationships without deep interactions. Listen to this poem by Joanna Fuchs. It's titled, Surface Ties. We meet, we greet, we talk of things, but underneath, no real heart strings, just surface ties like waves on sand that ebb and flow at our command. We laugh, we smile, we share a joke, but deeper down, there's little hope of finding meaning, trust, or love, just empty shells that push and shove. We part, we say, we'll see you soon, but in our hearts there's only gloom, for we all know this shallow game will never bring the warmth of flame. So let us seek a deeper bond where love and truth and grace respond and leave behind those surface ties for richer depths and clearer skies. I thought that was a great poem. The whole idea of the poem is we need to go deeper in order to have deeper relationships 
with one another. To know one another, you have to listen, you have to really love a person deeply. We people don't want shallow interactions and relationships with those we love. You, I guarantee the people that you love in your life, you want a deep, meaningful relationship. You know, it's like the picture of a mother with her child. You, you love those conversations where you get to hear about, this is what I really want, this is who I really am, and here's what's really going on. You want those deeper conversations because you love them and you want to have that meaningful relationship. Well, we're not the only ones. God is also that way. God does not desire a shallow relationship with you. He does not desire shallow, surface-level, skin-deep interactions with you. God wants an intimate, deep relationship with you where you know him and love him and you are known by him and you understand his love for you. That's what God desires for you. And Jesus raised that issue in the parable of the soils. In the parable of the soils, Jesus uses three analogies to make the point. You have the seed, the soil, and the sower. The seed is the word of God. The soil is the heart of man. And the sower is the voice of truth. The sower is the one spreading the word of God to others. And in that parable, Jesus gives four different kinds of soils because just like reality would teach us, people respond differently to the same truth. So he tells us, he informs us, now listen, you're going to share the truth about who I am and about the kingdom of God and, and about who we really are, our, our depravity, our sin, also the image of God that God has made us in and the relationship he wants with us, the, the calling and purpose that God has placed on our lives, the the connection he desires with us, all those things, you know, person A is not going to respond the same as person B. And it all comes down to their heart. What kind of heart do they have in receiving the word of God? And so he gives four different kinds of soils to represent four different kinds of responses to God's word. And we looked at the first one last week. In Mark chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus was teaching this parable and it says, he, he says, he, this is the beginning of the parable, As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And we love birds. We love birds at grace. But they're bad in this parable. Verse 14, he explains it. The sower sows the word. Some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and try and immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. So we labeled the first, uh, the first heart the calloused heart. This is the hardened heart. That's not, it, you know, the path is, it's been trampled on so long, it's compact dirt, it might as well be a cement floor. The seed cannot penetrate, it can't get through the soil, it's not going to bear root, it's not going to be able to survive and live in good, rich soil. So that first heart is like a heart that doesn't even get it, doesn't consider it, it's ignorant to the Word of God. That's the first heart, and we called it the calloused heart. Calloused for multiple reasons. You can go back last week and, and look at the sermon. And it says, immediately Satan comes and takes away the, sir, the Word sown in them, which ought to be a reminder to us. 
Every spiritual conversation you have, every sermon that you give, every time you're discipling someone, the enemy is ready and willing and wanting to snatch away that truth. The way that Jesus describes our enemy is he prowls around like a lion that wants to devour God's people. He's interested in taking away the truth so that you will not understand and that you will not hear. And so we thought about it last week, and we thought we need to be prayerful. Uh, we thought we need to be ready, uh, just as 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to share. We need to be intentional about sowing the seed. I gave the example last week. You know, farmers back then, they didn't just do this, like, oh, I'm just going to sow the seed wherever. And some of you are worried I'm going to fall down. So I'm just going to sow the seed wherever, and if it lands on the path, I'm just an ignorant farmer. No, no, no. The point of the parable is, you must sow the seed even on the calloused hearts, e even on the hard hearts. The idea is share the word with everyone, everybody, everywhere. Some of it's going to fall along the path, but that's not, that, that's not for you to say, well, I won't share the truth with them. They'll never hear it anyway. No, no, no. Don't use that excuse. That's not biblical. We sow the seed everywhere. And so people have calloused hearts. And a question arises from the parable. As you look at all four soils, is this just descriptive of how people are and there's nothing we can do to change it? Or is there something that Jesus wants us to do about it? Is there something that we can do that has an effect on people's hearts? Because everyone knows that studied the Bible for a long time, you can't change a person's heart, right? You don't change a person's heart. So, is Jesus telling us this parable like, listen, there's nothing for you to do. Just go home and forget it. But this is just reality. Here's how hearts are. Some are hard. Some are rocky. Some are thorny. Some are good. And you don't know what you're going to get. It's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And you just sow it. Is that his intention? Or is Jesus giving us insight and teaching us that some people's hearts are like these first three soils but the reason why he's telling us is there is something we can do about it. The, if we understand what the hindrances and the issues are for people hearing the word, is there something for you and I to do about it? And I want to suggest the second, the latter, that yes, Jesus is informing us about the different hearts because there is something we can do about it. Consider the writings of Paul and Peter. Just theologically, just think about it. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, For though I am free from all people, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may, so that I may gain more. I want to win more people, and so I become a slave to all. Now, he doesn't mean a literal slave, someone that, you know, I'm a slave. He means I serve them in a particular way for their specific needs and I subject myself to them so that I can win some of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might gain Jews. To those who are under the law I became as one under the law so that I might gain those who are under the law. To the weak I became weak that I might gain the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all means, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. 
No matter what your theology is on salvation and people being born again and re regenerate, no matter what your, your theology is, this Bible passage teaches that Paul is saying, I do different things with different people. Different, I eat differently. I talk differently. I use different examples. I use different words. Read his letter to the Ephesians and then read Philippians. It's, you almost would think there's a different author based on the way he articulates. He uses different means for different people. He will eat different things, dress a certain way. Why? So that he can win some. He wants other people to be saved, which means Paul is teaching, God is teaching, the Holy Spirit is teaching us, you do certain things differently. Why? So that you might save some. So I just want to encourage you with your theology because some people get a little confused about this. This, is, this has been around the church for 2,000 years. In your effort to give God all the sovereignty and glory, don't give him your responsibility. And don't give him excuses. Paul teaches us, the New Testament teaches us, there are certain ways that we strive and change in order that people would receive the word of God differently. There is a sense in which God wants us to break up hard ground, to cultivate ground, to plow certain ground. There's teaching in the Bible, even in, in the Old Testament. Uh, Jeremiah prophesied, he tells them, break up your fallow, fallow ground. God actually tells them, your hearts are like untreated, unkept, unprepared, wild, unlevel ground, and you can't plant there and it be prosperous. It can't be fruitful. You need to cultivate and break up your fallow ground, your hard ground, and receive the word of God. So, that's Paul. Peter wrote the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, be ready to give a defense for anyone who asks you and do it with gentleness and respect. Well, if it doesn't matter how you do it and their heart is either hard or fertile or whatever, why would he instruct you but do it this way? Do it with gentleness and respect. Why? Because it makes a difference. The New Testament teaches over and over how you share God's word makes a difference with how people receive it. Do it the right way. Do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. Do it lovingly. Do it according to the word, and the word tells you do it a certain way. So I want to encourage you. When Jesus is giving this parable, he wants the disciples to think about this parable for the rest of their lives. They go back to their homes. They go back with their kids. They go back with their grandkids. They go back into their villages, their towns, and they say, Jesus shared this story. And they think about, man, the, the shallow ground or the, the hard path, what is that like? And what are we meant to do with that? Is it just, well, there's nothing you can do? Or does the rest of the Bible teach us there is something you can do? Take note to how people hear and do whatever it takes that you can share the word with them and they receive it. One of the purposes of the parable was to encourage the listeners to examine their own hearts and to be receptive to the message uh, of the kingdom. So Jesus is intending for us to evaluate our own hearts like a mirror. Think of those two I gave this last week. The parables are like a mirror and a window. A mirror reflects our own heart. Where am I in this parable? How am I doing? What, how am I responding? And a window. What is God like? What is the kingdom like? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to share? What does this mean for us as a church? So it's a mirror and a window. So that's the calloused heart. And, uh, and we talked about that last week. 
Next, Jesus describes the shallow heart. That's what we're going to think about today. The soil number two, the shallow heart. He said, other seed fell on rocky ground. You know, there's like rocks under the soil. The soil is a thin layer, and underneath there's rocks. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. The soil is, you know, it's not deep. It's shallow. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. And so he's giving an example of something you'd see all over Israel. There's some ground, it looks like great ground. It's like, man, this looks like good soil. But just inches below the surface, there's limestone. There's lots of limestone in, in Israel. There's rocks. And so here's a picture, like a side picture of you see that thin layer of soil at the top where those grass and weeds are growing? Underneath it is just rock. That's the idea. There are some, there's some places where it's a thin layer of soil and it's just rock beneath. Well, guess what? Uh, roots can't drink rock. <laughs> they can't eat rock. That plants need good fertile soil with nutrients and other things. So, uh, uh, you know, he's giving this illustration to say there's some soil that has a rocky base to it and it's not conducive for plants. Now, what's interesting is Jesus actually says, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. I don't know if you know this about plants, but plants in shallow soil may sprout out quickly, sprout up quickly because the soil is typically warmer and drier than deep soil, which promotes germination and early growth. So the way that a seed responds to the weather, to the temperature, to water and all that, if a seed is in a place where it's warmer and it's drier, the seed's like, oh, we got to get roots because we got to get water and we got to go fast because it's warmer. Spring is here, summer's come, the winter's gone. So, so seeds have like this internal design of saying, oh, we need to grow. And so in shallow soil, seeds will really spread out quickly. However, shallow soil does promote faster initial growth, but plants are more drought prone because they hold less water and thus they dry out faster than deeper soils. Which is why in Luke chapter 8, verse 16, when Jesus, it's a parallel passage, when Jesus talks about this parable, he says, this plant on shallow ground, rocky ground, withered away because it had no moisture. You know, it's as if Jesus knew, scientifically, it needed the water, which of course, he does know that, and that is true, and the farmers would know that. Shallow ground promotes quick growth, but then death because there's not enough water. And so plants need sun to grow, but too much heat, too much heat will kill a plant. Just enough will help the plant grow. And so Jesus explains it down in verse 16. In Mark 4, verse 16, he says, And others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. So let's break down what Jesus is saying about the shallow heart. And uh, we'll, we'll just look at three conditions of the shallow heart. Uh, don't you want to know? Thank you for asking. That's great. Okay, let me tell you. Okay, number one, his description of a shallow heart is, a shallow heart thinks that pleasure is king. So one of the conditions of a shallow heart is pleasure is king. 
Joy is what I'm after. Happiness, pleasure, comfort, that's what I'm seeking. Look at how he says it in verse 16. And others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. Why does he use the word joy when talking about this particular ground? Because this is the person that immediately says, oh, it's going to make me joyful. That's what it means to receive it with joy. This is going to make me happy. They're like that college student that's like, oh, that, that job is going to make me a ton of money. I want to major in that. And then they have one semester of that and realize, uh, I made a mistake. And then what else can I make money? And they move on to the next degree. How many, guess how many times I changed my degree in my five years of four-year college? Uh, not six, five. And it, no, I'm just kidding. I, a couple of times, I actually did. I went from business to Bible to both business and Bible. Uh, but you know how it's like the description of someone that's just responding surface level. <gasps> I'll take that. I want some of that. You, you know the description of a person who's shallow, right? I think, uh, what is it, The Great Gatsby? It's a fictional story where that, this rich man, Gatsby, is looking for pleasure in life and has these great elaborate parties at his house. All, he's known as the shallow character of the story. Why? Because he's just saying yes to whatever's going to make him happy. This is, this is a demonstration of pleasure is king. Someone with a shallow heart may receive happily the word of God, but only because they think it's going to make them happy. They think this is going to be the best way. That's why later on it says, as soon as distress and persecution comes, they immediately fall away. As soon as it doesn't make them happy, I'm out of town. I'm out. I give up. I quit. I I'm, you know, rip up the contract. Whatever commitment I made, I changed my mind. If it's bad, I don't want it. So one of the descriptions of a shallow ground is it's Pleasure is king. It says immediately they receive it and immediately they fall away. Uh, you know, they're quick to respond to the gospel. They're quick to respond to God's word, but that's the problem. They're quick to respond to anything that sounds good. They don't think about it deeply and consider it. There's no roots. There's no depth there. They're just shallow. So that's what he means by uh, they're shallow. Their pursuit is pleasure. You know, Solomon writes this in the book of Ecclesiastes. If, how many of you have read the book of Ecclesiastes, right? One of the most depressing books I've ever read in my whole life. Uh, when I first read it, I just thought, wait, is this true? I read Ecclesiastes, all this sounds bad. All this sounds negative. Like, man, I, if I had to go on a road trip, I don't think I'd bring him with me. I think I would want to bring someone who ignorantly thinks everything's great. You know, you don't, you don't want Ecclesiastes riding in the passenger seat with you. Uh, just imagine that, that playlist. That would be horrible. Uh, but then again, I didn't understand the book of Ecclesiastes because I didn't understand what Solomon was trying to do. Solomon was the wisest person that ever lived. Solomon had everything a man could possibly want. You know, when Paul wrote in the New Testament at one time, he wrote to the people and said, listen, I'm writing, I'm talking like a crazy person, but <sighs> fine, if that's how you think, then fine. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I've listened to the best teachers. I grew up a letter to the law. Why does Paul write like that in the New Testament when that's not the posture of Jesus? Because Paul's trying to take the position of the non-believers. What Paul's trying to do is say, okay, atheists, let me put myself in your shoes for a minute. You think there is no God. 
So you're trying to find fulfillment and life and pleasure and satisfaction, your gods. You're trying to look for it in everything else. Well, let me, let me use your logic with you. Let me tell you. So Solomon goes through 11 chapters of, oh, you think you're going to find fulfillment in money? Okay, I've got all the monies, and, uh, and it left me empty. It's vain. Oh, you think you're going to find fulfillment in women? I've got 700 wives and 300 concubines, and I've written a little about it in Proverbs. It's, it's going to leave you empty. It's going to leave you wanting. It's not going to fulfill you. Oh, you think it's going to be in science and the earth and building and trees and plants and all the... I've done it all. I've searched the world. If you try to find meaning in temporal pleasure and that's where your heart is set and that's your God, basically, you're going to end up empty. It's going to disappoint you. Solomon tells us, if you search for what only God can give you in the world, you're going to end up vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's empty. The word vain is the same word for idol in Hebrew. It's vain. But if you fear God, if he's your north star, if he's your, the compass that points north, if he's your pursuit, if you seek the kingdom first, all these other things are going to be added. You're going to have all these other things. You don't have to worry about those things. So, so the shallow heart is just looking for pleasure in temporal things. Pleasure is king, and that's a problem because pleasure is temporary and it's not going to satisfy. So the condition of the shallow heart is simple. People are glad to receive the word as long as it brings joy, uh, but as soon as it doesn't, they fall away. Second, depth is missing. So the second way that Jesus describes the shallow heart is there's no root. He says, but there is no root. It's short-lived. No root means there's no depth. Um, If you know anything about root system in a plant, uh, roots do primarily three things for a plant. And one of the most important is it anchors the plant. Do you know that a plant deals with wind and harsh uh, weather and toddlers and, you know, cows and all kinds of stuff? They just get, you know, get all messed up. But if a plant has deep roots, it's able to anchor itself and stay secure. So Jesus is telling them something. The the farmers understand this. Uh, They've even done studies on this. A plant that has shallow soil easily gets damaged, easily topples over, and it doesn't grow as tall. The same seed will grow taller in deep, rich soil than in shallow soil. The reason is because the plant just internally is designed to know, uh, I can't survive all this, so it doesn't grow taller. And so it's no, God put that design in his creation just because he's great, but also this is a good example for us. You've got to have depth to you. So they have no root, they're short-lived. As soon as distress or persecution comes, of the, because of the word, they, they immediately fall away. So uh, roots are used to anchor a plant down. You need to be anchored. What is your anchor? What is your anchor? You need to be anchored. The second thing is it absorbs food and nutrients. Most people know about this part of a plant. The roots are used as like, they're like the straws of the plant. You know, I remember learning about plants in grade school, and you learn about the leaf and like the little compartments and the chlorophyll and all that stuff, and it it receives the sunlight and it turns the sunlight into energy, but a plant can't live on sun alone. A plant needs the nutrients and water in the soil. That's why it has roots. The leaves don't drink the water. The roots do. And so a plant needs it to for nutrients. Well, we're the same way. A shallow heart that has no roots 
has no source of food. This is someone who says, oh, I'll take Jesus. But then when it comes to reading God's word and receiving and understanding, that's not a part of their agenda. They don't have that. That's a missing component. We as believers need to remember, we need, where are our hearts at? Where are our hearts? Are we shallow? Are we being shallow? Or is it deep-rooted? Are we receiving the nutrients from God that we need? And then the third way, which was a surprise to me, I learned this recently, just this week. Do you know that roots have little compartments in them that store water and nutrients? Um, Kind of like me. Uh, If I overeat, my body doesn't say, oh, we'll just throw that away. My body goes, no. Uh, we want you to go one more belt size up, and we're just going to store that, and we're going to keep it just in case you become a hunter and don't have food and water to survive, and you got to live off the land, which is hopefully never going to happen. But I've tried to convince my body, hey, don't store it. I've got plenty of food, buddy. I've got it all in the fridge, and my body's like, I'm not hearing that. I'm going to store it. So anyway, that's a personal thing. Sorry. Uh, it's just a little thing I'm working through, processing. Anyway, uh, well, a plant is similar God designed plants that it stores nutrients and waters in the, in the root system. Well, in shallow soil, it doesn't have a good root system. It doesn't absorb the nutrients and water it needs, so it's left empty. As soon as the sun comes up and the heat comes, it destroys the plant because it's got nothing to survive. doesn't have the power, doesn't have the food, doesn't have the nutrients, has nothing stored up. Well, people are like that. And some people have shallow hearts and they don't have that stored up. They don't have all the things they need to make it through difficult weather and hard times. So a shallow heart is one that's focused on immediate gratification and pleasure. You know, pleasure is king. It has no depth. There's no root system. It's superficial. It's skin deep. And thirdly, uh, part of the condition of the shallow heart is persecution is devastating. Persecution is devastating. And others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But they have no root. They are short-lived. It means they die quickly. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, and that's imperative, or that's really imperative for us to understand, they immediately fall away. They're short-lived. And here's the reality. You and I know this. Persecution always comes. But notice how Jesus uses two words. He doesn't just use persecution. Uh, I had a lady during, after first service uh, come up and share the Voice of the Martyr app with me, which is really cool. I just downloaded it today, uh, you know, after first service. Uh, she was sharing how you can pray for those being persecuted and you can pray for us and it has these devotionals. It goes through the, uh, I think, Fox's Book of Martyrs and some other things. And so she was showing this to me and everyone knows that, you know, people in the Middle East are persecuted more than me, but Jesus doesn't just use the word persecution. Jesus uses the word distress, which means like just affliction, hardship. And what he's saying is, imagine someone comes to church on a Sunday and they say, I'll receive, I'll receive Christ, I want to be saved. And then they go to work on Monday, and because of the word, 
They know if I live according to the Bible, if I say what God says about gender and sexuality and identity and money and forgiveness and life and love and neighbors and, and racism, if I believe what, G, what God says about those things, I could be persecuted. It could be hard for me. I may not get that promotion. My boss may not like me. My life is going to be difficult. Well, if they don't have root... If they don't believe, if there's not a depth of their relationship with God, you know what they're going to say? Zip. I'm not doing anything. I'm not sharing anything. I ain't saying anything. Why? Because there's no root. There's no real relationship between them and God. And that's just an example of distress. Eventually, they fall away because you know what? Living for Christ is hard. It's difficult, and it will bring you pain. If you give your life to Christ, you will experience affliction and persecution. Uh, let me give you one example. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you believe in the inerrancy of the word, that if there's no error, it's inspired by God, that this statement is 100% true and given to us by God. You will be persecuted if you live for God. If his truth bears root in your heart and it starts growing up and it starts bearing fruit, that fruit is going to cause the world to work against you, to be antagonistic against you. And if people have shallow hearts, guess what's going to happen? They're going to fall away. They won't survive. They'll never make it. So what can we do? That's the big question, right? If this is just descriptive, like, hey, this is just the way it is, then we can go home. We can go home and be like, well, I guess Jesus told us what it's like and, and there's nothing for us to do. Or if we know that Jesus is teaching us this because there is something we need to do, we do need to evaluate our hearts. We do need be, to be responsive. We need to be thoughtful. We need to be considerate. We need to share the word of God. We need to sow the word, and we need to be thoughtful of how we do it. If that's true, then what can we do about it? Well, number one, first, our job as sowers is to make sure that people are not receiving the word of God under false pretenses. You know, I don't want to just be some preacher up here that says, oh, the health, wealth, prosperity gospel is untrue and, and let's make fun of those people that believe it and say it and, and just, it's so bad. Well, that's true, actually. But you know what's deeper than that? People are hearing in our communities, in our nation, they're hearing about a gospel of Jesus where if you give your life to Christ, everything will be great. You'll, you'll finally get the money you really want. You'll get the job you really want, the relationship that you desperately want. It's going to be reconciled, and they're going to love you back, and it's going to be perfect. If you just, and normally it ends with, if you just give me money, then God will bless you. And it's horrible, but you want to know why people are believing it? Because their hearts are shallow. They're searching for pleasure just like we all did and would, and what they don't know is the truth. So our job as sowers, when we share the word of God, we need to be intentional about telling people, now listen, persecution is going to come. You are not going to, all your dreams are not going to come true if you give your life to Christ. All his dreams are going to come true, and you could be a part of fulfilling his plan, but it ain't about you. The gospel is, is 
not good news to the person that doesn't want to repent and give their life to Christ. It's the worst news in the universe because God says you will be held accountable for your sin. You will be judged for your sin. And if you don't repent and turn to him in faith, you will die in your sin and you will stay separated from him forever. Now, I don't like saying negative things and harsh things, but shouldn't we be intentional as we're sowing the seed and we know that there's going to be some hard ground out there and we know that there's going to be some rocky soil that we are intentional about telling people, listen, Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to me, but my life has not been without persecution and distress. If you give your life to him, you have to know that it could be harder for you if you follow him. He's not promising you all the earthly treasures. He's telling you, give up every earthly treasure and you'll gain heavenly ones. So we should be intentional. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, And you yourselves became imitators of us. And there's that word imitator, if you remember a few weeks ago with Bob Ross. And you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an Okay. As a result, you received the word with joy, even though in, in spite of severe uh, persecution, you received the message with, with, well, maybe that's what it says. Yeah, with joy from the Holy Spirit. Why does he bring joy up there? You received it with joy because your joy wasn't in your circumstances. You were persecuted. You had joy in something deeper, in something else. And so you became an example, and that's the key word. What people need is an example. They need an example, right? Here's, here's confession a little bit. When I go home and I'm with my family and with my kids, Friday is my day off. I love Fridays. I don't want to do anything that I don't have to do. I, do. I do plenty of things on Friday. I just don't want to have to do something on Friday. I want to like just pick and choose whatever I want. I just want rest. So Friday's my day off. Well, there was a Friday where my family had an opportunity to serve someone else. And I'll be honest with you, I did not want to. Not at all. I thought, this is my day off. I don't want to do that. I want to just relax. I want to stay in my pajamas. I don't want anyone to bother me. I know, that makes me sound super lazy to some of you. But I just want to do nothing. And, uh, and God convicted me. Like, you know, when your kids grow up, and they leave the house, what are they going to believe about Jesus? Are they going to look at Jesus and say, you know what? I saw it in my own home. Jesus is worth dying for. He's worth giving up your weekends. He's worth giving up your money. He's worth giving up your comforts. He's, he's worth enduring hardship and stress. Jesus is worth all that. Or... Are they going to remember back and go, yeah, remember when dad got a paper cut and we could never tithe again? <laughs> you know? What are they going to see? God's intention is that we become examples, that in spite of severe persecution, we become examples, that we receive the word with joy. Faith in Jesus is not a promise of a better life in this world, but a hope for an eternal dwelling with God. 
So if you live as if this is it, you're missing it. This was never it. There's, there's a second coming, and he wants us to live in light of that. And this is important as we share and that we be honest because how people respond to the hardships of holiness determines whether or not they fall away. That's Jesus' parable. It determines that. So let's think about it as we sow. And second, let's use the parable like a, a, um, a mirror. What is our response to persecution and distress? I'm going to use uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, which I don't think there's sarcasm in the Bible, but if there was, it's right here. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, and that's key, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. That means temporal. They're fleeting. It's temporary. Don't seek pleasure. Don't make pleasure king. Don't look at this stuff. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In that passage, Paul gives so many truths, but the point is we don't lose heart and we look up. We are not focused on this stuff. The shallow heart is focused on this stuff. And so as we share and as we evaluate our own hearts, the question is, is that how we're sharing? Is that how we're bringing people to Christ? Is that how we're witnessing? Oh, God is the best thing ever. Yeah, oh, he's good. Yeah, no, easy, easy. Please come. Yeah, you know, God loves you. Don't worry about sin and repentance and anything else. God, everything's great. Because eventually they're going to find out, believers or non-believers, it's not that great. Persecution's coming. There's hardship. You don't get all your dreams fulfilled. So let's tell them the truth and let's be honest with ourselves. Am I living a shallow life right now because I'm seeking pleasure or are my roots deep enough that I'm anchored in Christ and I look up, eternal rewards is where I am. The parable of the soils is meant for all of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the way that you taught uh, using parables so helpful to us to consider and meditate on for the rest of our lives. Would you... Would you please make our hearts like good soil that we would receive your truth and that it would bear fruit in our lives. And I pray for a revival. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. Encourage them. Convict them. Don't let them feel comfortable. Challenge them. Your word is so clear about your heart and your perspective, your mission, your calling, you have called us to sow the word. I pray you'd help us. There's even some of us in here that think because we know the word, we're fine. Or we make excuses, we don't have to share that much. 
I pray that you would break us of those hurtful, arrogant, unhelpful excuses and thoughts that hinder us from being your ambassadors, your people, your hands and feet, your witnesses, your light. Would you help us be your witnesses? We really do need your supernatural help. And we can water and we can plant, but unless you give the growth, there's no hope. So we confess, Holy Spirit, would you please powerfully come alongside your word that you would break up the hard ground, that you would make our hearts like good soil, that you would open the door for the word as we share with our neighbors, our community. They need your truth. Would you help us to, uh, to share it? We love you because you first loved us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.